0: Probably forgot to tell you to turn in your hymn book because I was nervous because I got to get through this whole book before we're done today. <laughs> if the size won't scare you, maybe the title will Integrative Theology Historical, Biblical, Systematic, Apologetic, Practical. Three volumes in one, written by two guys, so it's extra powerful. I just finished another class in the pursuit of my master's degree, and I'm happy to say that I both learned some things and got a good grade, but but when I got this book in the mail, it scared me to death. Uh, the full price on this dude is $70. Uh, I got an Amazon discount, you know how that is, up 20, down 30, or whatever, I don't know, but... But I got this and I thought, oh my, don't tell me I have to read that whole thing. And and then I thought I only had to read one section. And then I realized, no, I only have to read 200 pages. And I was so thankful for that. Um, Wow. The expectations of the class were challenging, but I knew what was expected of me. One of the things that I I had never even seen before I went to college was a thing called a syllabus. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a piece of paper, or in this case, multiple pieces of paper, in which the teacher says, here's what you're going to learn, here's what's expected, exactly, boom, 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 boom. Here's where your grade will come from, and they lay it all right out. And at the end of the class, you fit into those parameters one way or the other. They tell you what's expected. Obviously, any other way would be unfair. As we come to the last chapter of 2 Timothy, what we're going to see is God telling us what will be expected of us when it comes time for him to give us a grade, if you will. And I use those terms very loosely. But follow as I read from 2 Timothy 4. I charge you, therefore... And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fable, fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As I studied this this week, and I've I've read through this, I've preached this before. Uh, something jumped off the page that I never fully grasped before, and I hope I can communicate it to you. And it's this uh, very important point, and a couple more to follow. All people will be judged by Christ. And in particular, Christians are going to be judged by, here, a particular standard. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But look at, as Paul, this is the final chapter that Paul wrote before he was executed. And look how he starts this. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, and at his kingdom. The word charge that's used here is the same word that we get our word martyr from. And the word martyr literally means witness in Greek. And it's as though the the Apostle Paul is, is saying, look, here's God the Father, here's Jesus Christ, and the three of us together are coming to you, Timothy, saying, Timothy, here's something I want you to know. That is a solemn witness, a solemn charge. And he says, the reason this is so important is because Christ will judge the living and the dead. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus said this while he was on the earth, and here it's reinforced, in the sense that Christ is going to be the final judge. And here, uh, Paul writes it in an interesting way. He says that he will judge at his appearing and at his kingdom. Now, if you know your, your doctrine of future things, you know that he's referring to two separate things. And in fact... What we learn as we study the New Testament is that there will be three different times of judgment that are yet future, and I want to summarize those for you today and then come back to the real heart of this message, which is, what will be the standard of judgment? The first judgment that we need to take note of of Christians is this, there will be a judgment of Christians sometime after the rapture, the rapture being that event when we're taken off of this planet and uh, taken up to heaven. Um, of course, some of us may live till that time, some of us may not, but there will be a time when God takes all the Christians up who are still living, plus resurrects all the Christians who are in the ground, and takes us to be with himself. And then there will be a judgment of us. Second Corinthians 5 says this, "...therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him." For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, it's important for you to write a word down here. Um, The word for judgment in Greek is the word bima, B-E-M-A would be the English transliteration of it. And we usually refer to this judgment as the bima seat judgment. And the reason we do that is there's a specific imagery that Paul is bringing up to help us understand this judgment. And the the imagery is that of the athletic contest that we have come to call the Olympics. And in the Olympics, when an athlete would run his race, there would come a time at the end that the winner would go to the seat, if you would call it even the throne, of the judge, And the judge would be sitting there, perhaps there would be a whole retinue of judges, but there would be a person who was designated as the judge. And this this place is called the bima, the place of judgment. Now when an athlete won the race and came to the place of judgment, did he come to find out if he was a winner or a loser? No, he came to receive the reward for winning the race. And the reward, of course, in ancient Greek was a laurel wreath. Today it's the gold medal. And so the place of judgment was not a place of saying, are you in the race or out? Did you finish the race or not? Did you do a good job or not? The place of this judgment was a place of reward or recognition for the race that had already been run. And that's the judgment that is spoken of here. The imagery is here. And the imagery is uh, connected with this that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? You should run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things or self-disciplined. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, the laurel wreath, literally a bunch of laurel leaves woven into a crown. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, here's how I run. Here's how I conduct my life. Not with uncertainty. Here's how I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, there again, we're starting to think, well, does that mean it's possible that you get to this judgment and God says, no, you're, you're disqualified, you're out of here? No, here's what it means. Oop. For in no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if somebody builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, so as through fire. The judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, is a time when Christians' lives will be evaluated according to this by Some kind of fire, not the fire of hell, perhaps even just the fire of righteousness. And God says some of the things that we have done in our Christian lives will show forth as gold, silver, precious stones, and some of those things will show forth as wood, hay, and stubble. And when God applies his righteous gaze to our life, some stuff will be burned up and some stuff will be left. And he even says it's possible that somebody could get there with nothing. And yet he still will be saved, so as by fire. Okay. When I was in college, I, the, the, the main theology class that everybody had to take was done by a contract grade. The teacher would say, would you like to get an A? Say, yes, I'd like to get an A. And he'd say, here's what you have to do. And when you turned the paper in if it wasn't an A quality, he'd give it back to you. And he'd say, you got to fix this, and fix this, and fix this, and then turn it in again. And you could keep doing that over and over until you got an A. And if you got a test, then you had to get a certain percentage. And if you didn't get it, he'd send it back and say, do it over. Now, you could contract for an A, or a B, or a C. But you couldn't contract for a D, And the only way you could get an F was by not living up to the contract. I fear that some Christians say, well, saved by fire, good enough. We have the opportunity to show Christ our appreciation for our salvation by living in a righteous way. And of all of the unfair things in the world, when we do that, someday he's going to look at us from that seat of judgment and say, Good job. And here's a crown. And then you know what the book of Revelation says we're going to do? We're going to take that crown off and say, I don't deserve that. And throw it at his feet. Do you want to be empty handed? Oh, it will be glorious to be in heaven any way you can get there. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, listen, your judgment day is coming. And because of that, I'm telling you, there's something you need to know. Now, that's not the only judgment that is yet in the future. There is another judgment coming, and it's the judgment of those who will survive the tribulation. We don't talk about this judgment much, mainly because it doesn't affect us personally, but it definitely affected what Timothy was going to do with his life. God says that in the future, when the rapture takes Christians off this earth, there's going to be a time of unprecedented wrath from God and anger expressed by Satan through the world. And this time is called Daniel's 70th week. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble. It's also called the tribulation. And that time period is going to go on, and it's going to be a terrible time, a very terrible time. And, And at the end of that time, there's going to be a judgment. Because there will be people who come to faith in Christ during that time. Now, according to the book of Revelation, many of those people are going to be martyred. That is, they are going to be killed for their faith. It's going to be such an extreme time of oppression by Satan and his people that it will be even hard for people to to do business, if you will, unless they have the number of the Antichrist on their forehead or on their hand. And so many Christians will be martyred because they will refuse to go along with with Satan's work. But there will be some Christians who make it all the way till the end of the tribulation physically alive. And, of course, there will be some unbelievers who will make it to the end of the tribulation physically alive. And this passage of Scripture from Matthew 25 talks about that judgment. This is one of the most misapplied and misunderstood passages in the New Testament. But you need to understand, if you study Matthew 24 and 25 at length, You look at the whole thing, it's very clear that it's talking about the time of tribulation and the judgment that will come at the end. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. See, the coming of Christ in his glory is when he comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom. It's not the rapture, it's a different event. When he comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. This is the throne of David in Jerusalem. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And if you want to know, theologians usually refer to this judgment as the sheep and goats judgment because of that phrase. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me. And naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, we have to be a little bit careful here in understanding this passage, especially in light of the book of Revelation. The simple truth is this. It's going to be so hard to live for the Lord, just to physically exist in the time of tribulation, that if somebody is kind enough and loving enough to care for a Christian, the only way they could possibly do that is if they were a Christian themselves. The evidence of their faith will be their love of the brethren. Remember, Jesus said, do it to the least of my brethren. He's talking about Christians and those who will help them in the tribulation time. There will be such powerful, widespread persecution that only those who truly love the Lord will dare to help God's people. It's the same truth as that from James chapter 2, which teaches us that true faith results in works. This is not teaching a works manner of salvation. It's also not teaching us that any good deed we do to any person is equal to doing something for the Lord. It is teaching us that when we stretch ourselves out for Christians, especially those who are in difficulty, that we are doing something for the Lord because we're doing something for him, for his children, for his people. So there will be a judgment at the end of the tribulation, and those who pass this judgment will enter into the kingdom of God on earth. Those who do not pass a judgment will enter hell at that point. And then there's a third judgment that is coming, and it's the judgment of all unbelievers. And we've spoken of this one before, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, did you understand that? A great throne was set in heaven, and the result was people on the earth ran away because they weren't prepared to meet God. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the judgment that will happen after the the kingdom of God on earth. If we were to put this in a a, uh, chronological order, we would talk about the rapture being the next event on God's timetable, and then seven years of tribulation, and then that sheep and goats judgment, and then... A thousand years of Christ ruling from the throne of David on earth. And at the end of that time, the great white throne judgment that we just read about. And at that point, Satan is condemned to hell. All sin is taken away and we enter eternity in a sinless condition with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And the unbelievers who face this great white throne judgment will be judged by their works whether they were sinful or not and of course every unbeliever will be found to be sinful no no believers will will, will have somehow passed the test of being sin free the the most common uh misconception of the unbeliever is that their life will be judged on the balance of works you have Wicked works, sinful works, and good works, and if the good works are better than the sinful, then somehow that's going to get them into heaven. God's standard is, do you have any sin? Because if you have any sin, you're a sinner, and therefore not qualified for heaven. Now, the only fitting response to that incredible event, and really these other judgments as well, is this. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think there are probably far too many people that have far too light a view of who God is and what it will be like to stand before him. Now, look with me again, please, at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And think about everything we've just read from the Scripture and just talked about. And pull that all together with Paul talking to Timothy. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom in light of all of this that's coming, what does he tell Timothy to do in verse 2? What? Preach what? Do you know what what dawned on me this week? This is going to be the standard of judgment at at those judgments when god evaluates our life as a christian it, it it's not going to be some arbitrary unknown standard of judgment he's going to pull out the syllabus <laughs> and he's going to say uh did you speak the truth in love yeah yeah there there and there no not there burn that one up there there you know did you did you uh did you stand up for me and speak the truth to that unbeliever yeah there there no not there not that there You understand? This will be the standard of judgment. This will be the standard of judgment. The standard of judgment will be the word of God. That's why Paul says, preach the word. And if we were to contextualize it a little bit, we could put it like this. He says, Timothy, your personal evaluation by Christ will be in light of the word of God. So preach the word. You see, if Timothy didn't preach from God's word that salvation is found by faith in Christ, then people wouldn't believe and they will fall under God's condemnation. Let's think about it in terms of this chronology of judgment. If I don't declare today that Christ died for your sins and that you're a sinner... And that you can be saved by putting your faith in Christ. If I don't declare that, and you don't believe it, and the rapture happens on the way out the door, then you miss out. Because you didn't believe in Christ. But you know what? When I get to heaven, God would say, Lunsford, what were you doing? You had all these people listening to you, and you didn't even tell them they need to believe in Jesus. And so two of us miss out. I miss out because I have failed to follow the syllabus, and you miss out because now you're in for seven years of tribulation, and you may not survive. You understand? That's what Paul's saying. Timothy, take this seriously for yourself and for your hearers. The standard of judgment will be the word of God. If Timothy was not faithful in carrying out the ministry of the word, then he would suffer loss as well as his hearers. There's a verse earlier in the Timothys that says, Timothy, take heed to your life and to what you preach and your ministry because in doing so you will both save yourself and those who listen. Now, I can't save you, I know that. And you can't save each other but whether or not we declare the word does have a bearing on who gets saved and on how people's lives are changed. When This will be the standard of judgment, period, at all of those judgments. But there is a third element that we need to understand for us that's here in 2 Timothy 4. The standard of judgment for believers, so we're only talking about this one judgment right now, will be the way we handle the word of God. And we're going to talk about this in part this week and in part next week. But the thing that we understand, first of all, is this. Do you handle it like it's God's word? The word for preach here uh, means, it comes from the same word as the word herald, not the man's name, but the, the job, which was to declare the king's truth. You you know, maybe you've seen an old movie or read a book. So the king says, uh, I want everybody to know that taxes are going to increase. And so there is a guy, today we call him the, uh, what is he, the White House communications director or something like that. Um, but in that day, he was called a herald. And so the king would send the herald out and, and, and the herald would go to the towns and he'd unroll the big sheet of paper and he'd say, hear ye, hear ye. The king says taxes are going to rise. Now, whose word was the herald declaring? The king's. Wasn't his word. Wasn't his idea. It was the king's truth. The king's idea. The herald's job is to declare the truth. Now, let's imagine that he goes out. Let's say this town, this town is full of, of folks who like big government. And so when he says, we got to raise taxes, they all go, yeah. But he goes over to here, and there's a bunch of Republicans over here. <laughs> and he says, hear ye, hear ye, the king says taxes are going to rise. And they say, like heck they're going to rise. We're going to beat you up. And the and hill the goes, did I say taxes are going to rise? No, 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 no. What was I thinking? Too much coffee this morning. I don't know. No, taxes are going to go down. Everybody goes, yay. Now, when the herald gets back to the office, turn this on. Herald, herald to the office. The king wants to see you. Hey Harold, I heard from my loyal subjects in that place that loves taxes and they're thrilled with my new plan. And I heard from my subjects in that place that hates taxes and they are too thrilled with my new plan. What did you tell them? Well, King, they didn't like your idea, so I changed it. the king's going to go, no problem. That's the problem with the word of God since it was given. Some people like it. Some people don't. And so Christians are tempted to fool with it and dumb it down. And there's an ongoing process. And of course, there's there's pushback by Satan, ultimately. But it comes to us from the world, and the world says, Oh, I don't like that thing about abortion. I don't like that thing about homosexuality. I don't like that thing about uh, women following their husbands. I don't like that thing, you know, uh, on and on and on. And we go, well, you know, I'm not sure that's what the Bible really says or what it really means. And we're tempted to dumb it down. God, His Word, you are the mouthpiece. That's all. We have to handle it like it is God's Word. Muammar Gaddafi said, I'm going to fight to the last drop of blood. Can you imagine one of his lieutenants going out and saying, Hey folks, uh, Momar wants to have a negotiation. We're dealing with the king of the universe. Our creator, our savior. And he has declared his truth. And it is our job to handle it like God's word. Some people will like it and some people won't. But we've got to declare his word. Number two... In our standard of judgment, are you ready to share God's word? And we see this from the phrase, uh, be ready. Preach the word, be ready. In season and out of season. And the in season and out of season certainly applies to what I was just saying. There are sometimes when it's more popular, sometimes when it's not. But I didn't want to focus in this, in this point on just asking you, are you ready to share God's word? I was on a disaster team in Seattle that went to national disasters like the Northridge earthquake. And since we could be called, for instance, in the morning and have to be on an airplane by 5 in the afternoon with 20,000 pounds of team gear already packed and ready to go by our hands, we had to keep our own personal gear together we had to have it we had to have it together and have it in a bag and we had periodic inspections they'd say bring your bring your go bag in we're going to see if you have everything you need to have they weren't willing to trust us i mean we're all, we're all adults we're all professionals they said we're going to inspect your stuff and make sure you're ready so when the call comes you're not going to hold us back are you ready to share god's word 1 Peter 3 says, sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a, literally to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Are you ready to share God's word? Our response to the issues of life around us is vitally important. And it's especially important to be ready to share in the casual moments. Now, here's what I mean by that. You all know that when you come in here on Sunday morning, you're going to get some of God's word. I've got this prepared message, sermon, lecture, call it what you want to call it. And I've worked on it throughout the week, and I've done my homework, and we've put together visuals and so on. And here it is. The the time when it is so powerful though to share God's Word, and I'm not I'm not demeaning this preaching of the word because if, if I didn't think it was important I'd get a different job, but the time that it's that it's really powerful is when when you're out having lunch and your friend Ruth says Pastor Dave da 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 da, da, da. Can you imagine Pastor Dave going, well, Ruth, come next week and I'll have a sermon ready. Or even more so, maybe your friend Ruth Sweet says da 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 to you and you say, you know, you should go talk to Pastor Dave. That's a wonderful compliment. But you know what would bless me more? Is to hear Ruth say, you know, I shared my question with my friend and my friend said, you know, God says da those are the most powerful moments right there, friends. Teachable moments. Moments when people are open, they're looking for answers, and we need to be ready to share God's truth. You don't have to give them a sermon. If there's any downside to what I do is it gives you the idea that you have to give a sermon to get the job done, but you don't. You just gotta answer from God's Word, but you've gotta be ready. You've got to be ready when your eleven year old son comes home asking about beer and his friends. You've got to be ready when your friend asks about divorce. You've got to be ready when your co your coworker comments on the latest movie star meltdown. You've got to be ready when the person sitting next to you in church is struggling with a life decision. And so if I was to say, how can you be ready? I would say, here's another way that you've got to handle the word of God. If you want to be ready to preach the word as God's word, you've got to be feeding your soul with God's word every day. Listen what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Are you feeding your soul you know, I'm convinced that one of the problems that Christians have, and non-Christians really have it, is that our souls get hungry, but we don't recognize what we need. In other words, we think, oh, I need to go shopping. I need to go to the shop to work. I need to uh, do this or have that or get this experience, when really what's, what's wrong is our soul is hungry. This week I had a, a, a violent flu. I lost seven pounds in two days and my stomach got so messed up I wasn't sure if I was hungry or in pain. And I tried eating and that didn't work some of the time. And, and I thought, what, what can I eat? Nothing tastes good. I just didn't know what to do. Is your soul hungry The only way you can get strong, the only way you can recover is to feed on God's word. No matter how you feel, there is only one food for your soul. The way to be ready to share God's word is to be learning God's word every day and every week, every Sunday or Wednesday at a Bible study, to be reading good books. In fact, I would challenge you to think about it this way. Did I put that there? No. Could I challenge you this way? Your prime hobby in life should be knowing God's truth. Is that too too strong of a statement? Your prime hobby in life should be knowing God's truth. Let me me put it to you this way. Most people wouldn't call watching sports on TV a hobby, because a hobby is supposed to be active, right? In other words, if you just lay on the couch and watch the TV, that's... That's really not a hobby. That's a bad habit. Okay, But, let me just say this. If you can discuss the strengths and weaknesses of individual professional sports athletes by name, then you should surely be able to recite the scriptures of the gospel to an unbeliever. Have you ever thought about that? How do you learn... You know, I mean, my son plays fantasy football. and Some of you know what that is. You pick out these players and you put them all together and there's all this complicated way. I guess they have computer programs that keep track of some of it now. And But boy, he knows all these players. And when this guy does good and that guy does good and so on. And and, uh, and of course, he, he would never come to me and say he can't learn the word of God. He, he knows what he'd hear. but But we can learn all kinds of things that really don't matter. And yet, why I just can't learn the Bible. I would suggest to you that it takes the same kinds of effort. If you can name Hollywood celebrities and their roles in movies or television, like at the Academy Awards, was it last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, then surely you should be able to know the stories of Bible characters and how their lives instruct us today. If you could learn the procedures in a trade or the skills of using a computer, you should have no problem understanding God's biblical processes of Christian growth and the scriptures in which they are based. If you can type text into a numeric keypad without looking, you can remember God's truth. And that's why I would say our problem is not ability, but availability. Our problem is not ability. We might want to paint it as ability because that lets us off the hook. The truth is we can know God's word. We can grow in God's word. In fact, listen to what God wrote to some folks in Hebrews 5. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you the first or the elementary principles of the truth of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who only partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, by by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Can you imagine at the Bema seat... God says to you, well, why didn't you say something right there? And you say, I didn't know what to say. And God goes, I gave you all the words. Wouldn't that be something? I wrote it all down for you. Wow. Wow. It's been a blessing to me, personally, to walk with Mike and Pat Coogan through the last eight months or so of Mike's terminal cancer. This week, Mike said, and, and I asked him if I could tell you this, and he said yes. He said his, he was glad his death didn't come without warning so that he would have time to think and prepare And he said, what I've been doing in this time, he said, you know, people die, they have a car accident, and they die, and they don't have any warning about it. I'm glad I've had time. And he said, what I've been doing in this time is reviewing my life. And I've been confessing everything I remember. He He said, I probably don't remember everything I should, but when I remember something, I confess it, and I've been taking joy in the things that there were to take joy in. Wow. I'd call that living in light of the fact that Christ is going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his glory. Are you living in that light today? If you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, I would invite you to do it today, to be ready to be ready to escape these two judgments and to only face the reward seat of Christ. If you are a believer today, are you living with eternity in view? Are you preaching the word? Uh, Are you sharing the word? Are you living the word with eternity in view? Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts today. Use your truth, change our hearts and lives. Father, if there's somebody here who, who isn't sure that they know you, help them to get ready. I pray in Christ's name, Amen.